0: The scripture reading for today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Alright, good morning. It's uh, good to see you all here this morning. Um, My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, I didn't preach um, last week. So um, in case anyone forgot, I want to give you all a heads up. I have a Peach impediment and so uh there it is actually on display for you but um yeah it'll kind of come in and out as we go so just want to give you a heads up on that so you know um what it is as we go throughout our time together and we're actually going to get into it here pretty quickly so if you have a bible please um turn with me to um Matthew chapter 6 in fact I'm going to turn there myself um And if you are an app or however it is that you get into God's Word, um, please turn there with me. And if you don't have a Bible with you, would you uh, hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you one. And we want to make sure you have one to read and to follow along with. And if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. la Biblia en y Y si no tienes una Biblia eso es un regalo We just again just said that we want everyone to be able to have a Bible they can read and understand and keep in their own um, language and um, make their own. And so again, please do keep this and bring it with you and um, put your name in it and underline stuff. Um, and uh, again, just want to make sure that we all know that God's word is indeed what shapes us, that it is the, uh, the, the, the that uh, Jesus is, is the word of God made flesh, and that he alone is our hope for transformation. And that's in fact where we've been in this whole time in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I actually just want to say, I don't even know how many, so actually, Kelsey, I'm kind of looking at you here on the spot. Um, how, do we still have some of these? S- Oh, a lot. Okay, there you go. So we're like halfway through um, our sermon series and the Sermon on the Mount. We love to be in books of the Bible, and we'll be in the Sermon on the Mount through the end of November. And um, so we had uh, our first day when we got into this sermon series, we introduced these, and I think they all sold out like right away. So we ordered more, and now we have a bunch left. And so um, if they cost three bucks, um, and so if you have that on you, get one. Even if you don't have that on you, get one, because we're not going to just hang on to them. So anyway, I want to make sure everyone has one of these. There's some really helpful stuff in there. It's a, it's a notebook that um, fo- follows along how we're breaking through this sermon. So when Jesus initially preached the Sermon on the Mount, he just preached it on a mount. And, um, and people were right there, and they heard it, and they listened. And we, though, um, are taking months to walk through this because we need to kind of slow down and let it sink in more deeply, and we need to be shaped. And we're a little bit more uh, maybe numb to some of these things, and so we need to take it more slowly. And so that's how we're doing it. We're marching through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember, the big idea of this whole Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is declaring that he brings real heart transformation and that that shows up in real everyday life. That that every part of our lives, that nothing is off limits to the transformative work of Jesus. And as he calls us to put our faith in him, he doesn't just weave us there, right? Some of our propensity is to kind of sprinkle some Jesus into our lives or to you know, kind of come on Sunday and get our Jesus fill or you know, whatever it is and then go on from there and think, okay, cool, I've got, I've got this side of my life, I've got my religious side, and then I've got everything else. And Jesus is just blowing that up with this sermon. He's showing, no, 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 nothing is safe. Okay, nothing is off limits to to the, the touch, the work, the transformational effect of placing your faith in Jesus. In a sense, he talks about his kingdom. Right before this, he had said, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is among you. That As Jesus enters in, he's bringing his transformational kingdom. The, and so what that is, is this. Okay? When God created us, he, he had a plan for how everything looks and works. And he said that our identity and our purpose would all flow out of our relationship with him. And then from there, that our relationship with each other would all come, um, again, from our relationship with God. But then when sin entered into the world, that's essentially not God. That's saying, thanks but no thanks, God. We're going get, to um, get this uh, under our own control. It says, though we flip things upside down, and I'm not going to demonstrate for you, okay? but just think, imagine with me that we're walking around this world like we're walking on our head, that we see things in a distorted way. We see things upside down, and so we celebrate, we call blessed or, or good a lot of times things that are not the way that God called them to be. And that's where we're going to pick up again this morning is seeing that, that what he calls the good life, how he calls us to live our lives and what we put our hope in, that the, that the, that the object um, and the source of our hope and our devotion, apart from Christ, is distorted and will always leave us wanting And desperate and unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And so Jesus has some pretty intense words for us. I'm just going to say on the front end before I pray um, that um, this, I hope, is jarring for us. Uh, My hope is that by the end, that we'll come to a place where we're encouraged and convicted and oftentimes Jesus brings us where both of those lines need to overlap and need to go hand in hand, where we find hope, we find, we find joy, we find, um, we find encouragement, and yet it's often really painful because he needs to do a surgical work within us. And this specifically, I think, is my hope, and as I prepare it even in my own heart, is it's been unsettling. Is God's revealed a ton of stuff about my own heart and my own life in ways that I have kept him uh, away and said, no, 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 don't don't speak into this right now. I've got it. And so my hope is that um, he says his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I trust that he's going to pierce us and shape us um, potentially even painfully through our time together. Okay, so you've been warned, all right? Let me remind you, I love you. Um, and um, with that, let's go ahead and pray and uh, get into our time in Jesus's word together. Lord, we do thank you for um, this morning. Thank you for where we are, wherever we are this morning, even as we just sang that you use pain um, for good, and we don't understand how that works. And um, Lord, you use all kinds of different things to, to, to reveal that you are again the one who brings the waves that come crashing down on us, and that you are ultimately working things together for good. And so, even painful times where we come and we submit to uh, your shaping, your surgical work on our hearts, um, Lord, we trust that, 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 that your hands are, are safe, they're not easy. Um, Lord, they're good, and that you are, you are bringing something good about us individually and communally together. And so uh, we do ask you, though fearfully um, and expectantly, to shape us through this time. Lord, to leave us um, changed by your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, again, where we've been, we were just in um, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, and um, we spent two weeks in that. We hit on the, the Lord's Prayer last week, and the big idea there is that, again, Jesus is showing how his transformational work for those who put their faith in him shows up. And he talked about specifically about, about giving and fasting and prayer. And how those things are now informed by who he is and what he's done. And how we, if you put your trust in Jesus, you go before God, the Heavenly Father, and you you observe these perhaps seemingly more spiritual things like prayer and giving and fasting um, in a way that you understand that your good Heavenly Father delights in you and that he rewards his children with his presence and with intimacy. And then that theme pretty much continues on now as he gets into more of just everyday life. Like We say here, all of life is all for Jesus. And, and, that's, and so now we get into that really practically about how we go about everyday life and how we relate with the relationships and the experiences and the, and the possessions that we have that flows out of the transformational work of Jesus, giving you a new heart. And so with that, we pick up in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so, the context here again, I think we need to do some work. We always need to do some work because we come to this and we're like, ha ha. We got mothballs now, so no, don't need to worry about moths. And um, thieves, I have an alarm sy- system, so I'm good there. And now, in our day, in 2016, we have stuff that doesn't decay as much, right? It doesn't wear out, and it's pretty, we're good. Like, we don't even need to hear this. And yet, what he's talking about in this context, it's a predominantly agrarian society, and I'll just, full disclosure here, I'm a city boy, I don't know anything about farming. I did live in Arkansas for five years, but I still, I didn't pick up what they were throwing down. I don't know anything about farming or agriculture in any way. But in this context, what he's talking about is he's talking to a people that their entire lives, everything about them, their identity, their worth, their portfolio, the goods that they produce, the tools and the things that they used to produce the goods and, that they would sell and they would use for survival and all these things were subject to decay. So if your tools started to rust or if the, the insects got into your, your stocks and, your, and, and the things that you were, that you were holding on to, your feed and your grain and your seeds and all this stuff, then it wasn't just like man that's inconvenient i got holes in my shirt now i should go down you know to the store or go on ebay or whatever and nobody buys clothes on ebay right i don't know whatever forget, wherever you go to get your clothes um, you know I, that no big deal but in this context it's like no that's everything it's like my life is on is on is on, is, a, is a is a house of cards right now built up that could come falling down if these things wear out and jesus is saying don't, don't, don't put your hope in those things because they might decay. And he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can, can, can be decayed, where nothing can, can, can be stolen from you. And guys, this is, as we get into this, this is a much bigger question. Hear me, okay, look at me. This is a much bigger question than do you care too much about your stuff? Like, do you get a little upset when your iPhone gets dropped and broken or gets stolen or when, when you're like, okay, we could easily go throughout this sermon. And again, I have been so burdened as I have been preparing for this because I think we could so easily go there and just walk away with like, don't be so into your stuff. Okay, love Jesus more than your iPhone. Okay, go. But the real question here being asked is this. Who? Or what is your God? Who or what do you orient your entire life around? And the the question here, um, you can can dig into a little bit more with, with, with something like this. What or who in your life do you think, if I had that, once I get that, then I'll be fully satisfied? Or on the flip side, I have this a relationship, a possession, an experience, a way of life, whatever it might be. And if this were taken from me, I would be absolutely devastated. Whatever the answer to those questions, if I get it, then I'll be satisfied. Or if it's taken away, I'll be wrecked. Whatever the answer to that is, that's your God. That's your functional Savior. That's what you orient your life around. And often it's really good things. It's really good things. And, and we're not saying, hey, don't even like your job, don't even care about that, or, or you're in college and you're hoping to get a degree one day and to work in a certain profession one day. It's not saying, well, that's all bad, don't do that, don't have any goals, don't do anything, or don't even care about your family or your car, or your house or your possessions or whatever, because, you know, it's not, it's not going there. But what this is saying is your ultimate source of identity and hope and what you submit yourself to. Again, the source of your hope and the object of your devotion. That's your God. And idolatry is when we take anything and we put it, anything other than God, and we put that in a place in our lives where we circle ourselves around it. And again, we say, if I get it, I'm good. Or if it's taken away, I'm done. And so again, what is the source of of your hope, and the object of your devotion. Because um, I I think where we are today, in our culture, the idol, the dominant idol, again, I just defined idol, okay? If If you missed it, let me just again explain it. Whatever it is other than God that you orient your life around, If it's anything other than God, then it's idolatry. Then your loving creator, the one who calls you into a relationship with himself, anything other than that is idolatry. And the dominant idolatry of our day is materialistic consumerism. We are swimming in such polluted waters that we don't even acknowledge it. That again, as I was preparing for this sermon, so many things about the way I went through my week, the way I I reacted to things that didn't go the way I wanted them, the way that I I looked at my house as I pulled in the driveway, the way that I, I related with my family, the way all kinds of things revealed to me how much I am consumed with materialistic consumerism, with more, more, more. More is going to satisfy me. And so let me read this little definition. I didn't come up with this, but I kind of combined a couple, so it's hard, to, it's hard to give props to one person because I kind of took these from a couple different places. But this is, in a sense, materialistic consumerism. The waters that we swim in, the water that we're drinking, the stuff that we don't even acknowledge and recognize is this. It's the consumption of goods and experiences as the ultimate purpose for one's life and the source from which a person finds his or her identity. Again, it's really important for us to acknowledge. It's not just more goods, because I know we're kind of transitioning now, maybe the more of the millennial generation or the hipsters among us, right? We're simple people. We simplify. We, we, don't, we don't just have a bunch of goods, right? That's for the suburbs people, and those of you who are here, we love you, and, you know, right? But it's like, oh, no, the suburban people, they have tons of cars and houses with big garages, and they do all this stuff. But no, no, I'm really simple. I ride a bike. I, you know, I have one coffee cup and one water cup. and and I always fill them up and that's all I use and I have like three outfits and one pair of shoes and all these things And, and so we go there but again that's why it's goods or experiences and I would even add in there maybe relationships and it's things that you get your identity from and it's where you find your sense of peace and comfort And one more quote for you. Actually, I have a couple more quotes throughout our time, but right now that informs us. This is a a sociologist, Robert Wuthnow, says this. He says, We cannot fully appreciate the depths of materialism unless we understand how economic behavior supplies us with meaning, purpose, and a sense of the sacred order. Okay, a sense of the sacred order. That's again, that's, that's what I give greatest priority, what I, what I find my greatest hope in, and what I devote myself to most consistently. And we in here, I mean, we think like, again, I asked earlier who or what is your God? And you're like, man, this pastor's crazy. I'm in church right now. It's Jesus. It's the God of the Bible. Or you're not from, you're not coming from the place. And I know and love the fact that we have people here who are not christians or who would say i'm here to i'm here to investigate this stuff well let me let me break it down for all of us okay it's it's um uh, often our our confessional god and our confessional faith is very different than our functional and real faith and god that, that the way we actually go about our lives is again we center ourselves we find our our identity and our purpose and our sense of meaning from materialism and consumerism and, and from being in control and from getting what we need and from saying if I get it, I'll be satisfied and if it's taken away, I'll be devastated. That's how we actually go about our day. Even though maybe here on Sunday morning we confess and we sing and we say, No, 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 God's 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 what I orient my life around. And again, even for me this not even, okay, this no, for me this week as as I was kind of forced to dig into this, because I'm like, I'm gonna be Preaching on it, and I better be prepared. Um, God just exposed so much in my heart. But something I notice is that sometimes it's a little too close, right? Like we don't see as clearly when we're when we're in this place right now. Like I once heard someone say that you wouldn't ask a fish to describe water. Right, because it's like, I, what, that's what I know. I don't know, water, air, life, that's what I am. Right, like a fish is just swimming in water. That's all it knows. Uh, and so in the same way, if it's too close, right, if the way our whole societal structure is based, here in the West, again, predominantly materialistic consumerism, getting more goods, experiences, relationships, all these things that are going to define us, that are going to give us meaning, then we don't acknowledge it. So for me, as I prepared, I started thinking, okay, I... Like I got to trace back to something not as close, because when I start to evaluate my home or my job or my ministry or my relationships or or my house or some of these things, it was a little harder for me to get into. So I had to go way back. I went back to like when I was like five years old. It was probably my first real cognizant memory, and I remember the source of my hope and devotion was um, Hungry Hippo. Okay, you guys, some of you are too young, most of you are too young to remember Hungry Hippo or even know what that is, but it's probably vintage now. It's probably worth you know thousands. But Hungry Hippo was this little game that had like four little plastic hippo faces, and then people would push it, and, and these hippos would, would kind of come out and chomp their little mouths and get all the marbles in the middle. And whatever hippo got the most, like that person won. And for whatever reason, I'm, I'm sure it was the creative advertisement, right? As I watched hours and hours of Saturday morning cartoons and Hungry Hippo came on and came at me consistently and told me, your, you, your hope will be satisfied if you devote yourself to this. Once you get this Hungry Hippo, you'll be fully satisfied. And so my birthday falls in November and then Christmas comes shortly thereafter. When well, my birthday came around, and my parents clearly didn't love me because I didn't get Hungry Hippo right when I wanted it. And so I didn't get Hungry Hippo for my birthday. But like a month later comes Christmas. But that was a long month. And my brother, I'm the youngest of four boys, my older brother, the one closer to me, would use that for weeks on end to torment me. He would like come in, usually again on Saturday morning, and like wake me up and be like, David, there is um, something outside, out in the living room, a, a little package with a name on it. It has your name, and um, I'm not going to give it away, but it rhymes with hungry and ends with hippo. Okay, like I'm just, I'm not going to tell you what it is. And I'd go sprinting out, right, and like run around and probably fall down in the kitchen linoleum. This was the 80s, so there's linoleum. And I'd come, and I'd run back, and I'd be like, where is it? And he'd just be laughing. And I was so consumed with that. Well, sure enough, Christmas came around. My parents did prove their love. I got the hungry hippo. (laughs) I was satisfied for about... 30 minutes, and then it moved on to something else. And that was probably 1985, and then 87 came around, or 88, whenever it was. And I remember it was now the new Nintendo game, Blades of Steel. Right? Some of you guys, again, don't know anything about that. But it was this hockey game, Blades of Steel, and we finally got that in all the anticipation. And then that eventually wore off. And now I can start to trace, right? I look back and I see how silly to put my hope in things like that. But in my context, in my life, that meant everything. And now, it's a little easier to see today how many things I put my hope in, that I devote myself to, that can never satisfy. But I give my heart to this kind of stuff. And Jesus goes on and says in verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you are longing for, whatever is your treasure, whatever, again, once I get it, I'll be satisfied. Once it's taken away, I'll be devastated. You're going to give your heart to that. That's going to shape you. That's going to inform everything about your life. All of life will be all for whatever that is. And then he continues on, and this might seem a little bit like a weird part if you've Studied this section of scripture before, you're like, this part just seems weird. Like Jesus just forgot what he was talking about for a minute because he goes on and says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body Will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Again, that seems like a little bit of a like weird like left turn, and you're like, Jesus, where are you going with this? He's again, he's using language that we need to kind of dig into. And if you, if as I hope, we're growing in in being students of Scripture and studying God's Word, I encourage you to get a good commentary we can help you there's some out there that are really good and and find some of these things like heart is a good example and i is a similar thing that heart is not just like the you know cupid valentine's day emotional and some of us in here some of the men are like i don't even have a heart you know, I don't. I don't even know what that is. I don't. I'm not in touch with my emotions. And um, but but heart is a much bigger word that is dealing with the whole self, the whole person. It's the intellect. It's the will. It's 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 it is emotions, and it's it's desire. It's strength. It's everything. And then he transitions right there simply, um, right there, and it makes sense. He goes into the eye is the lamp of the body. And this is similar to, if you're like a philosopher or a theologian, you perhaps used, heard this language of a worldview. Or sometimes here we will talk about this is the lens through which you see everything. All right? Every one of, it, of us in here looks through lenses. Okay? None of us just has this objective you know, perspective that we just see the whole world in and we're not looking through a particular lens. Every single one of us. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, you've got lenses on right now. We all have lenses on. And that stuff shapes us. Okay, you can look at your neighbor and say, you're four eyes. No, don't, no, no name calling. No name calling. That's not what we're, But, but seriously, we all have lenses on that inform how we go about the world how we see things, how we interact with things, how we make sense of things. And what Jesus is saying is the lenses through which you are seeing the world, if they're dark, if they're broken, if they're, hear me, distorted, then everything about you will will be filtered through that distorted lens. So if your perception of the world, if how you decide on all kinds of important things on how you decide where your hope and where your devotion comes from and is given to, if that stuff is distorted and broken, then you will will be changed. In, In a sense here, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you become what you focus on. Whatever you're focusing on, that's what you become. And so that makes sense when we see a passage like Hebrews chapter 12 it's not, no longer Jesus specifically speaking, but these are words about Jesus. It says this, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. Run with endurance. Guys, we, again, the waters that we're swimming in, the world that we're functioning in, the things that we are inundated with, the, the hungry hippos of the world that are, that are screaming at us through the screen that we don't even know it. I read, um, and I don't know even the source of this, but I, I read that someone else was quoting that we are um, subjected to about 3,000 ads per day. Yeah, I mean, and even if, it's, even if it's half that, which it is likely more, I mean, that's a ton. Just what we drive past, when we look at our phone, when we're on social media, when, wherever it is, I mean, we are just absolutely inundated with ads. And what Jesus is saying is, watch your eyes. Watch your eyes. This isn't the main idea, but the main point, but it definitely fits in, and I think it's appropriate to say that men and women, What we look at, what we gaze at on the screen shapes us, changes us. We become that. If it's pornography, if we're spending hours a day just looking at pornography and just giving ourselves to that, we are foolish if we don't think that is shaping us and that we are now becoming that. Okay, again, this is not, I could go into this so much, but you hear of people, Ted Bundy, he was one of the most famous serial rapists. I hate even saying that word because I know it stings for so many many of us and is horrible, hopefully, to all of us. But Ted Bundy, right before he was put to death, was asked, how did you get here? Like, what did your parents do? What happened to you? What kind of horrible evil was done to you as a kid? And, and, And he says, you know what it was? It was pornography, He says, I I never had stuff done to me, but I subjected myself to pornography and it started to shape me and it gave me an appetite that I wanted more and I wanted worse and I wanted different and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and then I I started acting it out and living it out and then again he became this this horrible evil that that just wreaked havoc. And seemingly in a repentant place, at the end of his life, the day before his death, he acknowledged and said, that's essentially, he said, I became what I focused on. And that, and that goes for everything. Whatever it might be, I focus on these things so I get into it. Like, I personally love MMA. MMA. <laughs> Because I don't know why. Because um, I grew up in a family of all boys, and we basically lived in a house of, you know, ultimate f- fighting. And our, our living room was the octagon, and um, my mom was the proverbial re- referee. And you know, but I mean, I joke about this, but I don't actually watch it that hardly ever anymore. I kind of keep up with who won what and stuff sometimes, but I almost never watch it anymore because I notice like some of my sin propensities, and I've shared this with you guys before, like have to do with anger and punching things, inanimate objects sometimes, and, you know, and getting and just the evil and the darkness where this stuff comes from. And I'm like, man, that's, if I'm just consuming that, like I'm, I'm a fool if I don't think it's changing me. Some people can do it and watch it and then be the most loving, patient kind of people, but that's really not me or hasn't been me. Is, but whatever it is, we focus on it and it changes us. And ultimately, it lords over us. It rules us. Again, hear me. Look at me, church. You and I are mastered by something. Every one of us are ruled by something or someone. When I asked you earlier, who or what is your God? That's saying, who or what rules you? Who or what masters you? And and, and none of us, I, I, I can't say this emphatically enough, none of us is immune to that, okay? None of us can think, uh, not me I'm the master of my own domain I decide what shapes me what changes me I'm good I no that again that was sin in the garden that was no thanks God I don't need you I'm going to take it from here I can, I can dabble in this stuff a little bit and I can control and then sin and horror and evil and brokenness and war and divorce and I mean everything in all that is broken in the world flowed out of that kind of silly arrogance that says I'm the master of my own domain I don't need to submit myself to my good and loving creator because I can do it and when you do that, when you leave that you and, you and I are fooled into thinking I'm in control but what is really true is you are controlled by something and that's where Jesus comes into this last verse 24 he says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money. And some of you might have a different word in your translation that says mammon. And I think that's a, better, that's a better word. It's a more descriptive word. In fact, even in this translation, the ESV, the English Standard Version, and that's what we hand out when we ask you to hold your hand up, that, that, there's, a, there's a little note, and it says also translated as mammon. And mammon is a broader-reaching term than just money. Okay, mammon, the word mammon there means, means like um, um, wealth and, and power and earthly goods and possessions. And again, I, I would add in there because of our context today, what I read earlier of experiences and relationships. It's, it's things from which we derive our identity and our purpose and our sense of belonging and our source of encouragement and hope and ultimately what we devote ourselves to. This whole thing, and he is saying, you can't serve both God and the world. You can't can't serve God and be restored by him and transformed by him and just be walking around on your head with distorted lenses that you're looking at the world through and not be unchanged. And we, guys, we don't understand this, again, because in our context, we, it's harder for us, because we don't understand kingdom language as much, right, because Jesus says he's the king, and he's bringing his kingdom, and we don't like kings in the U.S., right, ever since, like, the colonial times, like, we don't do kings here, and we don't, you know, and so we don't get some of this language, and, and we miss it, that, again, um, the kingdom is is, is is the is the reign and rule of Jesus, where everything is as it ought to be in his kingdom control and his will and his power is informing and defining everything and so we all live even here in the u.s or we have a democracy and we don't you know we're not a monarchy and all that stuff we are either a part of the kingdom of heaven that jesus has ushered in with his death and re- resurrection on the cross and his promise to bring to its full fruition when he returns one day or we are a part of the kingdom of this world it's one or the other And we think through lenses of employer, right? Like we're like, okay, my main job, my full-time job is Jesus. And then I've got another job, a side hustle, like another employer that I can kind of manage on my own. And these employers relate with each other and work out together. But no, there's language here intentionally used of master. And a master doesn't want you to be mastered by anyone or anything else. Especially when it's your good and loving master, your Lord and Savior, Jesus, who has come to restore you back into that loving relationship where the rule of God gives you hope and he calls you into a devotion to him that is trustworthy because he has proven to you and to me that he loves us so radically that he died on the cross and rose from the dead in order to put sin and death and being mastered by anything else to bed and to raise you and me again to new life and to new hope and to a new life of devotion, to being ruled by the God who loves you and cares for you and has proven his love for you and calls you to live all of your life, every facet of your life, not just the religious stuff, not just Sunday mornings, but everything in relationship to him. Jesus has come to set us free. He's come to set us free. And yet we continue to put shackles on. We continue to submit ourselves to other masters that will always leave us wanting, that will always leave us disappointed, that are not trustworthy. And church, there are implications here for us to consider. Again, to continue to sit in this uncomfortable place. On an individual level, I just want to ask you, what does this mean for you? What have you given yourself to? What have you submitted yourself to that, that shapes you? What is it that you say, if I had that, I'd be satisfied? Or if it was taken away, I'd be devastated? And perhaps it's, it's, it's financial things. In fact, it's probably for most of us informed by that in some way. It might be, we might have a relationship with a credit card or a pawn shop or same day loans and all kinds of things that we just, that is so unhealthy that we have just given ourselves over to and allowed to master us. And we've said, if I just get this, if I'm just satisfied by this, if I just have this today, I'll deal with it tomorrow. And there is literally slavery today going on with, with predominantly the, the marginalized and the poor and, and the oppressed and, and, and the vulnerable in our society through things like payday lending or other things. Okay? This is where it translates from individual to communal, okay? that none of us lives on an island, none of us is immune. We all know the political climate we're in, and I'm going to press into this a little bit, church, okay? I've told us before that, that we don't come here to be comfortable all right? That's not why we're at church. That's not why I'm here. That's not why I do this. That's not where I don't think that's what, what God's word just wants to bring to us. No, he, he has come not just to give us information and not just to comfort us, um, especially in the moment, but to transform us. Amen? And so you can take comfort and solace, all of us, and knowing that, that we're all going to be uncomfortable together. Okay, so we can hold each other's hands, we can be here together, and we can, be, we can take comfort in the fact that we're uncomfortable together. But there's a really important political climate that we're in that on the one hand, we need to ask ourselves, wherever you are, if you're on the left or the right, wherever you find yourself, where you can think, man, I, my hope and what I devote myself to has, has to do with, with what goes on on November 8th with the election, with what comes about, with, with, man, if this happens, I'll be devastated. If this doesn't happen, I'll be satisfied. And, and we just, we give ourselves to this stuff. And then there are things on the ballot that, that have to do with, with loving God and loving our neighbor. Again, some things that some of us are privileged not to even think about. That Again, let me just speak briefly into one of them that has had a dramatic impact on my own family, Proposition 205. It's about the legalization of marijuana, and I know for a fact, by the way, there are people in here, in our church, community, that's the messiness, the beautiful messiness of Jesus calling a diverse people to be his people, a tapestry woven together, growing together as one people, as his people, that disagree on some things, and there are people in here that think, oh, if we just legalize marijuana, then we would have way less crime and way less this and way less that, and then other people say, no, if, we, if it can't be legalized, well, let me just... Inform form that um, again mammon this idea of of serving two masters of the god of mammon that we've got to recognize guys that we live in a world today that is absolutely driven by wealth and power and comfort not by the kingdom that jesus has come to usher in that is always always all about loving god And loving his people. And Proposition 205, I guarantee you, is not driven and funded by loving people. Historically, the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed have continued to get more and more so by things like the legalization of drugs and the, and, the, and, the, and the quick accessibility of marijuana, and then that leads to other drugs. And then from there, the quick direction, the quick path from you get caught using marijuana to now you're in prison and all these things. And again, this is, these are complex subjects, and Jesus doesn't just come to speak into the simplistic, but he calls us to press into the complex. And I'm going to read us one more quote in a moment, but I want to tell you here, I'm not going to give you what to vote for and what to vote against or who to vote for and who not to vote for. I'm not going to give you a checklist. And you, hopefully, we all are uncomfortable right now because I know I'm offending everyone, hopefully, in this place right now. All right? Hopefully, you're not here. I'm not speaking into one demographic or against. If you're trying to find my angle, it's, as much as I I believe wholeheartedly, it is, It is check your heart. Check the lenses through which you view the world. That Jesus has come to transform us so that we can be set free to love Him and to love other people. And for all of us, the left and the right and everyone in between, we are so prone to loving power and comfort and wealth. And what's in it for me? And what's going to make things a little more comfortable? And what's going what's to be the, the, the easier and the wider path? Okay, a little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, in chapter 7, we're going to get to Jesus talking about the easy and the wide path versus the narrow and the difficult one. And he, he, he laid his life down for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and those who can't speak on behalf of themselves. He didn't consider what he had something to be held on to, but something to give up for the good of others. And I know that I could have tied a little pretty bow on this sermon about five minutes ago and where I left it and on the individual, you know, do you love your stuff too much and will you submit it to God? But we, the the corporate and universal implications of us as God's people together, can't go unaddressed. Jesus doesn't leave it unaddressed. And this last quote I want us to read is by a a theologian and a a scholar, N.T. Wright. He says this, he speaks into our world today. He says, the massive economic imbalance of the world is the major task that faces us in our generation and the number one moral issue of our day. The present system of global debt is the real immoral scandal, the dirty little secret, or the dirty enormous secret of glitzy, glossy Western capitalism. Whatever it takes, we must change this situation or stand condemned by subsequent history alongside those who supported slavery two centuries ago and those who supported the Nazis 70 years ago. It is that serious. He, he adds that last little sentence because he knows that we're going to lean in and say, that's crazy, and by the way, he's not, this isn't, some of us want to be like, oh, well, this guy's a commie, you know, crazy, like, he attacked Western capitalism, and he is a Western capitalist, he's a, he's a professor at one of the most expensive, prestigious universities in the world, he lives in England, he's from England, okay, he's not a, he's, this isn't left versus right here, he's not a commie that we can just quickly dismiss, okay, he's, and some of you are like, oh, good, I thought he was, man, I thought, I thought he just hung out on Fourth Avenue, and that's where he was going, and, um, <laughs> Again, this is, though, to press in, it's like this is, a, a, I think, a prophetic call-out. This is an uncomfortable call-out of recognizing the waters that we are swimming in, that Jesus' real transformation, church, shows up to set us free, free to a place where we can love God and love others. And so, again, you do with this what the Lord leads you to do. I'm not giving you a list. I'm not giving you... All the answers here. Thankfully, Jesus has already given us his Holy Spirit, amen? And that Spirit will will lead us. What what I am here to to hopefully inform by the Spirit and and, and he's at work in us, even right now convicting us, is to question the lenses through which we see the world, is to question what truly is our God and how does that inform every part of our lives. Because church, if you put your hope in anything other than the God who loves you and has promised to fulfill you, if you devote yourself to anything other than the trustworthy God who has proven his love for you on the cross, then you will be left wanting and you will be left devastated. And Jesus has come to set us free because we serve a mighty God who has come to restore all of life. So as we, as we respond right now, this is what I want us to do, to press in right now. Let's even close our eyes right now. I'm going I'm to lead into a prayer right now. And, and I want us to all, every single one of us right now, come before God and say, God, how do I respond right now? How do, how, what have I left off limits to you that you want to speak into God, what have we placed as the object of our hope and our devotion? What have we given ourselves to? What have we fooled ourselves into thinking we are not mastered by, but we have given ourselves to? Lord, what kind of lenses do we have on? Individually and communally, corporately. As Redemption Church Tucson and as every individual in every individual seat Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to lead us now in a time of response that I trust and pray is both convicting and heavy and yet incredibly exciting and freeing because you have set us free because we have have been set free from being lorded over by or mastered by anything other than you. So as the worship team comes up right now and as we prepare to respond, church, I ask you to to come humbly and honestly and say, God, form me. Shape me, expose me, lead me. And Lord, lead us as your people to be good news, to be a light that is on a hill, Lord, that a a desperate world looks at and sees our good works, sees our love for God and our love for our neighbor and our sacrifice of self. And Lord, wants to glorify you and come to you for hope and joy. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.